This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome into Seattle Sports at Night here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Thank you so much for stopping by and making us a part of your late night here following the Mariners postgame show. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Rost with you for the next hour here on Seattle Sports at Night. And Stacy, yes. there we go. Okay. We got your mic going. <laughs> if, was there anything that happened today that, that may have caused you to, to mm. stop whatever it is that you're doing? And I got, oh, um, I had a package delivered from Amazon. Oh, so that's always fun. I got a notification earlier. Um, did you get any, did you blast any quality tweets today that got you no. feeling good? Uh, you know, I... No, it was a I did, it was a no, rough day on I Twitter. did I did one. It it was a self. We all measured, yeah. We all measured our wingspan because uh, Puna Ford came up in the pre-draft presser and in a separate interview Pete Carroll had with Bob Cross and Tom uh, when he talked about Puna Ford's wingspan. Puna Ford stands seventy-one inches tall, and his wingspan is eighty inches. And my wingspan is like five inches shorter than I am because mm. I have tiny T-Rex arms, uh. and it was very disappointing. And I think that's it, though. Yeah, that's it. Oh, wait. I just doing a little snooping around. Yeah. Frank Clark's been traded. I, we, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it happened so long ago. Cause, it feels like I mean, a lifetime it, ago. It's basically Wednesday morning That was right like now. three coffees ago and two bowls of cereal. Yeah. and Which is what I had for dinner. <laughs> I mean, you had a bowl of cereal, but, I mean, it's almost time to get another bowl of cereal. That's how late it is right here. No, exactly. 710 ESPN Seattle. But, uh, yeah, Frank Clark getting dealt today. To the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously the biggest story of the day, maybe the biggest move that the Seahawks have made involving draft picks or at least a, oh, yeah. a draft day trade in a long time. I would say since, I don't know, is Jimmy, no, nah, Dwayne Brown maybe involving picks. Maybe. But day of draft, or it like would week have been of draft. week of draft for sure. Yeah. Yes. I can't remember I can a one of. that has been this big. Mm-mm. The Percy Harvin one happened a couple weeks before the draft. But it but this one, like, well, and yeah. that was an acquisition. Mm-hmm. This was, and we'll get into it. But this was a very specific decision and move, and it feels like there's a bigger implication. Yeah, impact, and, impact, uh, <laughs> impact. One of the great fonts out there. Also, the kind of thing that is happening with this trade. I don't know what I'm doing here, but. I don't think there's any better time than now. Let's let's just stop wasting time. Let's get into what is on the Tuesday night timeline. And obviously, Frank Clark getting dealt. That is going to be trending for quite some time here in Seattle. Seahawks moving him to the Kansas City Chiefs organization. Getting in return the 29th pick in this year's draft. Also, a second rounder in 2020. That will be the worst of the two Chiefs and 49ers picks that mm-hmm. can get moved. And then they also swap picks with Kansas City in the third round this season, moving from, what is it, pick 84 down to 92. Yep. So just eight different spots there. And also part of this trade, Kansas City will sign Frank Clark to a five-year contract worth $105 million with $63.5 million guaranteed of that $105 million. Stacy, at first glance of this trade, what did you make of it earlier today, and has that changed at all? Mm, I well, there were rumblings of a trade. Not, I think, just because it was uh, 
it felt like the writing was on the wall only in that it would have been really difficult for Seattle to sign all three. Now, granted, both Pete Carroll and John Schneider are they're smart guys. They know how to work a cap. Um, and both had said nothing but good things about Frank Clark. I think that, you know, just when you're in sports radio like we are or when you write for a sports site, you you feel like you see the same stories and a lot of the same debates. And, and it couldn't help but uh, this couldn't help but be one of them. Right. It was it was a huge thing. So I think that this is something that didn't shock a lot of people. But I do think that what really caused the biggest waves, uh, at least among here in our building, is what the Seahawks got back. And they got back quite a haul for Clark. Yeah, and I think that's a bit more of the story there for Seattle. Absolutely. You look at the Seahawks and what they had coming into this year's draft, just four picks in total before this trade involving Frank Clark. Now they've got five, but of those five, two are in the first round. And as we've seen in years past, John Schneider can turn those first-round picks into three or four different picks in a draft. Now you've got two of those guys. So the Seahawks had four picks entering today. Who knows what they're going to have by the end of the week? It could get up to double digits just based on the Seahawks' history with first-round picks under Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Yeah, the third day of the Seahawks draft since I've been covering has always been the most hectic one. It's when you're struggling to write and you're finishing an article about someone they've just drafted, and then they've got the phone conference with that person coming in, and then they've just announced another pick, and you're choosing between going to the front of the room or writing that, and it just gets crazy. This is the first year I can remember that you're thinking – what are we going to be doing in the first round covering this? Are we going to be talking about it and suddenly something breaks, or are we once again going to find ourselves saying the Seahawks traded out of the first? I don't know. I think there's a bit more intrigue around it now. Yeah. sure. I don't know why I said I think. There definitely is more intrigue around it. We're going to talk about the Seahawks draft plans, what we expect them to do on Thursday night as well as Friday and Saturday. That's coming up about 20 minutes from now. How do you replace Frank Clark? Just how important is this draft? For the Seahawks, how important is it on the defensive line? That's coming up. Also today with the Seahawks organization, Jaron Reed, also on the defensive line. He underwent sports hernia surgery in Philadelphia, facing a recovery time of four to six weeks. I don't know about you, Stacey, but this came as a surprise to me. And I think it came as a surprise to a lot of people. But then you look back at the end of the season, Reed did have some, some injury troubles, so... Maybe yeah. it's good that he's getting this out of the way early on in the offseason. No, we were looking it up to see what he was dealing with, and he had an oblique and groin injury uh, that was hampering him in Week 16 and, and was kind of on and off that injury report. But the sports hernia in particular surprised me because I wasn't expecting that. But once the report came out that he was in Philadelphia, I think people kind of started to speculate that that's what it would be. And then uh, with, who was it, Ian Rappaport coming out later and saying that was the case. It, it, uh, it's not the worst injury you could possibly have. And Brock Heward's a much better person to, and Jake to kind of break this stuff down. But well, in your football career, did you ever deal with sports hernia injuries? I didn't. I was, no. I was injury-free in my football career. That's good. Yeah. That's good. It's a good place to be. <laughs> so, not a lot of people can, can be as no, lucky as you. very few. But you managed to make it through your NFL mm-hmm. career injury-free. Yeah. Uh, we're now just we're less than 48 hours away from the NFL draft. Right? We're probably about, what, 36 hours away we're from the NFL in draft. On it. Yeah, Nashville is in sight. Kyler Murray, obviously where he goes in the draft, mm-hmm. that's going to be the biggest story on day one. Can you think of any other stories that outside of Seattle might be of interest to anybody? I mean, I mean uh, Kyler Murray's the clear yeah. top thing. I think that Nick number Bosa's, two, yeah, number yeah. two with Nick Bosa, who 
likely could end up at either Arizona mm-hmm. or San Francisco. That's going to be of interest to a lot of Seahawks fans here in this draft. And then, I mean, Josh Rosen, what do you do with him? Could he be moved to New I'm York? just not Washington? entirely convinced Arizona is going to go with Kyler Murray. Yeah. And then here's the thing. If they don't, could he drop all the way to Oakland? At pick, and would Oakland take him ooh, at four? Pick four. But then if Oakland doesn't take him... Where does he go after that? Does he go to the Giants? But which, what if the Giants? Which is he the style of quarterback? Exactly, and the yeah. Giants have had their eye on Dwayne Haskins. It feels like forever. Well, then but you then, start getting into more quarterback needy organizations, right? Yeah, Dolphins. The Cardinals are, there. are up there, but then once you go past there, they've got their quarterback solidified. They just they need help elsewhere. But once you get into that kind of like, uh, like six through or five through you know, 12, 13, 14, then you get into organizations where it's like he could really go anywhere. A lot of these are in need of a quarterback. I just feel like with the amount of times that the Cardinals have had Kyler Murray into their Maybe facility. Maybe they really like hanging out. I mean, at this point, you got to put a ring on it, right? At or this, at least what like, if, like define Cliff, the relationship. Right. I don't you got to have that tough talk. I don't know if they're going to be a fish day one of the draft. I'm going to say that they do not take him. Can wow. we put a bet on it right That's now? That's a hot take. I just uh, I, I don't know why you, I believe this. I'll bet you at a all. pack of goldfish from downstairs the vending machine. Can I add a coffee? No. Okay. I don't fine. drink coffee. Fine. Okay. How about um uh, goldfish and then also uh, a sparkling water? I don't drink sparkling water either. Well, I'm taking the bigger risk with my bet. Uh, sure. Make it a just a bottle of water okay. for me. A bottle yeah. of water. Yeah. Aquafina. Our bets are so exciting. Woo! Uh, yeah, so we're just about 36 hours away from the NFL draft. Uh, also in news today, the Mariners, their start schedule starts to get a little differently now with Wade LeBlanc out. You say Kikuchi, they're going to be watching his pitch count here in the next couple of days, giving him some added time off. His next start, they're scheduling him for only about an inning. They're going to use him as an opener. But get this, the guy who's going to f- – Replace Kikuchi that day on the mound. Highly touted Justice Sheffield making his Mariners debut. That's the rumor du jour right now. No no confirmation from the Mariners organization. It would be Friday night at T-Mobile Park. Uh, but, yeah, Justice Sheffield could possibly be out there pitching this in front of the – This could be our big if true. Because well, it is big if true. I, I think it is true. And it is big. And it is big. It is both of those things. Wow. It's big and true. Man, it's too bad we didn't save it for Big If True. Oh, I hate myself. I know. But that, yeah. It, so Justice Sheffield. With a guy named Justice, should they give people out in, out in like Kings Court, like scales, the scales of Justice? That's a really good one. Yeah. I like that. Um, I mean, it's. I think that's all you could do with it. Gavels. Justice has been served. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. that would be your... After every... Strikeout, they play the law and order. Dun, dun. Yeah. Oh, man, that's amazing. That would be awesome. for it. Yeah. So if you're heading out to T-Mobile Park this weekend, uh, make sure you get a look at Justice Sheffield. It'll be his first time in a Mariners uniform out there. And then in some wild, wacky news, which we love here on Seattle Sports at Night. Do we? Yes. Don't you, don't you act like you don't okay. love wacky news. Jeopardy, which I know we're all familiar with, one of my favorite game shows. I sure hope it's one of your favorite game shows. It's not. It's not. That's that's unfortunate. Well, professional better James Holzhauer is on a 
hot streak unlike we've unlike anything we've ever seen on Jeopardy. He now holds the six highest win totals in show history, and he's won as of tonight. He's won fourteen in a row. Holy cow! Fourteen in a row. You were saying it's not just knowing things; it's strategy. And like it, he knows which questions to choose. Yeah, and or it, also you got to time your buzzer out right because if you buzz in too quickly, it cancels your buzzer out until for like two or three seconds, and then you have to time, and then you can buzz in again. So not only do you have to like know what you know all these yeah. facts, you have to have a, a strategy on the board, and then you also have to time out the buzzer. Program. Who's who's the guy that won a ton? Ken Jennings, who okay. was actually from Seattle. So so with Ken Jennings, I'm guessing he was just crazy smart, and this guy is he's really smart, but he's also like crafty. Yeah, and he also since he's a professional better. I don't think he views money in the same way that you and I do. Like, if we got $1,000 on I'd be Jeopardy. Like, I'm out. Yeah, I'd be like, that's be it, like, guys. It's, See ya. It's five minutes in. You can yeah. answer more questions. Nope. And I'd be like, nope, See I ya. am good. And so he is wagering on daily doubles, like twenty and $30,000. And his right. final Jeopardy category, he's wagering $70,000. What if he loses 000. it all? I mean, it wouldn't be the first time, I would imagine, him being a professional better. I wonder what the most money no i mean like loses all of his earnings oh it, in the show like he goes like can you go like a double or nothing no so um, like once you win an episode that's your money forever oh got it but you like in an episode though let's say you've racked up fifty thousand dollars through the first two rounds if you bet fifty thousand in the final jeopardy category and you miss that question, you're down to zero for so that show. So how much has he won total? He's won, I believe he crossed the million-dollar threshold tonight. Jeez. In just 14 episodes. Like, yeah. dude is a machine, an absolute machine, and he just he continues to rack it up, and, and no one is even close We should in beating. reach out and just kind of see if he wants to hang out. Well, see, he's he's getting too famous now. He was on, like, Scott Van Pelt last night. On ESPN, he was doing like Good Morning America. Today. Oh, so now, so we missed our chance. Yeah, we now absolutely he's too big did. for us. We yeah. should have gotten on him like day one. Yeah. Like the episode hasn't even ended, and we're like, "Hey, my man, do you want to come on Seattle Sports at night?" Yeah. And now it's too late. Well, now we're way too late. So Jake got name dropped on the Tonight Show, which means he's got a little bit of clout. Yeah, a little bit of clout. Maybe he can like help it out. I wish Jake were here. Yeah, to I... do that. Oh my goodness. <sighs> He was on Brock and Salk the other day. Now you just sound so bitter. Do you see how I specifically refrained from it? Because I was afraid of getting in trouble again. Uh, Jake came in and was like, you guys, I've been listening. Uh, we love Jake. We kid because we care. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports at <laughs> Night, speaking of Brock and Salk, Brock Heward, he says the Seahawks did something today that they haven't managed to do in years. What is that thing? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers, Stacey Ross, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Make sure you're listening to Seattle Sports tonight on the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Curtis Rogers, Stacy Rost here with you. Stacy, during the break, you were telling me a story about you growing up mm-hmm. in the rolling hills of SeaTac. Right, right, right. And you spent your free time jaywalking, essentially. No, I didn't. It wasn't jaywalking, it was running. 
There was some activity to it. Well, because you said that you went to that Taco Bell that's on the corner. I did. By the now Doubletree Inn that's like by the airport, which is uh, near really close to where I grew up. My friend lived in apartments right next door to that. And so we used to play this game where you would see it would be at night, right? We weren't like crazy people doing this in the middle of the day. But at night, you would see how many times you could run back and forth across the highway before a wave of cars came. And so it would, it, you would lose, like you would beat someone if it's like you got back and they didn't. Not oh. like they were hit by a car. But oh, like, that's sometimes, also a, no, that's a serious Sometimes you would take. be stuck on the other side of the street and then you would, you know, you're like, oh, great. Oh. But yeah, that's, it's a game that we played when we were younger. I don't that's know true. what you want back, me to say. Back in the day, it was you had really to find, fun. Yeah, yeah, back in the day, you always had to find things to do. Yeah. We just, we didn't have tablets. We didn't have we didn't smartphones. Have, yeah, we didn't have video games to play. You know, here's the thing. When you're out there playing your little kitchen cook shop, what is it? I don't know. Oh. I don't know where you're going On your phone. Know that I ran back and forth across the street for there games when I was little. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun. It was fun. And you know what else has changed in those years? This is going to be a really bad transition, but it go is. for it. The Seahawks. Hey! <laughs> and in those years, they have. That, in the kingdom years. They have. This was probably 2002. That was a Husky Stadium year. When they built it? 2002, actually. That was the first year. That was uh, Seahawks Stadium back That is then. probably when I was running back and forth across the street. Yeah, that was two stadium names ago. Maybe a little younger than that. Maybe 2001. But what we've seen from the Seahawks, I think over the last year, has been a a much different change of tune than we saw in the middle part of Pete Carroll and John Schneider's mm-hmm. tenure, where all of a sudden now you're starting to see the Seahawks realize, like, oh, we can't just pay everybody. Because that's what they did after their Super Bowl years. Everybody got a check. Even you and I got a check. Probably. Right. It I'm, was great. Yeah. It lasted It lasted weeks. I bought so many furs, you don't <laughs> even know. I don't know where they're at anymore, but I bought them. I actually own that Taco Bell that yeah. we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah. It was a very kind of full circle thing. Like they were just handing out money like crazy. You just kind of had to be around the facility yeah, yeah, yeah. and you and would get you a check. You just got a check. Yeah. It's like, it was oh. wild. But now they're being a little more frugal with who they hand their cash I have to. yet to be paid by this yeah, organization. It's, it's been a while. Cut the check, Seahawks. All right. Cut the check. And Frank Clark, who was tagged by the Seahawks organization with the franchise tag at the beginning of the offseason. What was it? $17.5 million they mm-hmm. tagged him for. And then he was kind of in this state of limbo for, it was about a month or so, right? Yeah, they tagged him on the, I think, March 5th. So a month and a half. Which was the deadline for that franchise tag period. Yeah, so a month and 18 days, so 49 days. You're so good at math, Curtis. 48 days. Yeah, sure, we'll go with that. Uh, so the Seahawks earlier today trading Clark to the Kansas City Chiefs. In return, they get a first-round pick in this year's draft pick number 29, a second-rounder in 2020, and this year's 92nd overall pick. Uh, they also give their 84th pick to the Chiefs as well in this year's draft. But you look at what the Seahawks have done this year as opposed to in years past. In years past, like we said, everybody got paid. But now I think the Seahawks are starting to realize, like, why don't we maximize these guys' value mm-hmm. so that we can get more affordable players in here and build up that competition level that we saw 
in the years 2010, 11, and 12, rather than in 14, 15, and 16 when you know everybody got paid. And when you get that nice paycheck, I wouldn't know because I've never gotten one. But when you get that nice <laughs> paycheck, you know you probably take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit. Yeah, well, I think it's I think there's a couple factors into all of this. And I and I do agree with Brock Heward who was on Bob Gross and Tom earlier today and and said that uh I think for the first time in the last few years and this is what people have been clamoring for, they tried to get that value back. And he was referencing uh specifically Earl Thomas and and a bit of Richard Sherman too that last year it felt like during the first day of the draft all of us were on kind of Earl Thomas trade watch because there were uh, widely reported rumors that the Cowboys were willing to part with a second rounder in exchange for Earl Thomas and that the Seahawks might be looking for a first rounder more than that. Um, and so that's what everyone was watching for. And ultimately they never got any pick for Earl Thomas and, and they kept him on the final year of his deal. And uh, obviously we all know how that unfolded. Uh, no one's fault, but I think, Brock was pointing to the fact that Seattle uh, has lost big name players, all pro players, huge contributors, and you haven't gotten anything back for them with the exception of what, a comp pick or two? You and, got and maybe back, a seventh rounder? You got back a fifth rounder and Marcus Johnson for Michael Bennett, who was Marcus then Johnson, who's for, no longer on your roster. Yeah, who was flipped for Darrell Daniels, who I don't think is on the CX roster anymore. Right. Either. So you got nothing. Yeah. And I, the thing is, it's it's easy to say that about a team in hindsight, right? None of us are running a team. We don't know how easy or hard Maybe it is, <laughs> how easy or hard it is to to make those trades. And uh, you know, if you need a backup quarterback, you need a backup quarterback. Your season's over if you don't have one. So so you have to to make those deals, and and you don't always win. Um. So yeah, I think I think that it is. It's more of a lesson learned than it is being worried that someone changes when they get money or that that incentivizes someone less. I think it's more just realizing if if you aren't going to get this deal done, and apparently you know you're not. You know you're not going to give him the Demarcus Lawrence type deal he's looking for if you haven't agreed on it yet. Then then don't just let him play the franchise tag and play it out, which you might have done a year or two ago. Now you know that 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 hasn't worked out for you, so. You know, you got to cash in on it, and it's hard. You lose, you know, a huge part of your defense. Yeah. But for the first time in a long time, you've gotten something for it. Yeah, and to me, that is my favorite thing about this deal is that you're no longer letting somebody walk without trying to maximize their value. And just as Brock said, you know, a lot of Seahawks fans have been clamoring for it. A lot of people in the media have been clamoring for it over the last what is it, six years now, mm-hmm. uh, of the Seahawks trying to get as much in return for these guys and keeping that covered stocked and, and you know getting a younger, fresher person in here, somebody who the and Seahawks... Cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Somebody who the Seahawks can get some kind of financial flexibility with because with this trade also comes, and I think a lot of people are overlooking this, this comes with added cap space, too. And I honestly, even covering this team, didn't realize that because I kept forgetting that that $17.5 million cap hit is cap. all against the cap this year, which seems obvious because it's a one-year deal. But that release of Frank Clark suddenly frees you up. What did someone say? It was over $20 million? Yeah, so th- there's a possibility that the cap space that gets freed up for this could get 
up to about $26 million. Well, and then all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, instead of a, a $21 million, uh, a year deal for Clark or the $17 million franchise tag, maybe you extend Wagner, who's looking at obviously less than $21 million, just, just for his position. Jaron Reed. As well. Yeah. So you free yourself up to extend more than just one player, And then, yeah, you trade Frank Clark, but there are still pass rushers out there available. You've got Ziggy Ansah, who's probably the biggest name available. You don't quite know why it is that he's out there. A lot of people have kind of questioned his motor, whether he wants to continue doing this or not. And Dominican Sue, another guy out there. Um, Nick Perry, who visited the Seahawks facility, he's available. Is he still unsigned? He still is unsigned. I think I just assumed he signed elsewhere. You'd think so, but he, he hasn't. And Danny Shelton is out there mm-hmm. as well. And I think the Seahawks are waiting for that May 8th deadline right. That's the thing. where these guys no longer will have the compensatory pick tied to them. Uh, and, I mean, with this trade also, the Seahawks look at next year's draft. Currently, as it stands, they would have 12 picks in next year's draft, which would kind- be the most they've ever had. Yeah. And then you kind of wonder, could they use some of those 12 picks to get back into the 2019 draft as well. Could they use maybe one of their two second rounders to get back into the second round? Can you trade comp picks, though? Because a lot of those can. As of, I believe, as of the last couple of years, comp picks are available to be traded. Because I think they have the maximum number in comp picks for next year's draft that you could have. Four, yeah. Yeah. And then they added the second round pick today. Mm -hmm. To no, go along it, with their seven picks. It certainly four. gives them a lot of ammo. And obviously they can't the, – the trade is that there's a waiting period, right? Like that's the real part of it that you give up with all of this, that you just no amount of, of picks will give you back unless you have maybe like the first overall pick with someone that you could start immediately and could be a difference maker immediately. But, but the trade-off is that no matter who you get, there's going to be an adjustment period and there's going to be a learning period and, and you know, a period that any rookie might go through when you get into the league and you have to learn. Frank Clark didn't come in with a 14-13 sack season. This was his first season starting all 16 games. It took him a couple of years to really get, get his feet. Right, and he was disruptive to start out with, but he wasn't. He didn't take over a starting role, uh, which makes sense, right? You had Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. but um, But, yeah, I mean, I think that, that what you look for with that 2020 draft as well is that you'll be able to grow whatever group you get now. Seahawks, they got valuable picks for Frank Clark back, obviously, first round, second round, but can they make the most of them? Do you trust the Seahawks now with this added draft capital, and how do you replace a top-end defensive end like Clark? We are going to answer that question next right here. Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports at Night. You can text DRAFT 710-710 right now to receive exclusive Seahawks draft alerts throughout all seven rounds. Listen live Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Thursday and Friday coverage begins at 3 p.m. And join us for our live video stream also at 710sports.com throughout every minute of the draft. That's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Text draft to 710-710 to stay plugged in. Our coverage of the 2019 NFL Draft is brought to you by TSA Jobs. Coming up, four down territory in about 15 minutes. 
With Frank Clark now gone from the Seahawks organization, which player needs to step up and bring forth a breakout season? Stacy Roster, Seahawks insider, she answers that in 15 minutes from now. But the Seahawks right in 2019, in this draft class, they've got five picks. They had four picks. Now they got five. And all of a sudden, I think the intensity of the draft coverage, or at least the intensity and the importance of these picks, really ramps up now. Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of Seahawks fans, myself included, looked at the four picks and like, oh, this is, these are the only four picks they're going to have coming into this draft. How do you maximize that? I, I didn't think that they were going to be able to get another first-round pick. I didn't think the trade was going to happen. I had hoped it was going to happen. but It's a lot to give up, right? It There's is. reason to doubt it would happen. Exactly. If the Seahawks were to give up a first and a second-round pick for any player out there, you better hope that they're a really good player. And it would certainly be a cause for concern if you were a Seahawks fan to see them go out and give up a, a package like that for somebody, anybody out mm-hmm. there. But to get that in return, I think that puts me a little bit more at ease. But right now the Seahawks, they have two first-rounders, a third, fourth, and fifth. Stacy, when you look at what is left on the Seahawks offseason wish list, how important is it? for them to hit on that on their first two picks. I think it's really important obviously whether they um whether they stick with those two picks or not. I think what interested me about this whole conversation and the reason I wanted to talk about it is again stemming from that conversation with Brock when he was on with Bob Cross and Tom. Tom said is this the most important draft that the Seahawks could have in in 8 or 9 years and Brock said no. I mean, they've they've had some more impactful drafts where they really needed to make decisions. And there's a really good case to be made for, for 2011, 2012, when they had to get the ball rolling. And, and just imagine if they would have bombed those drafts, and all of a sudden you probably don't have Pete Carroll and John Schneider in Seattle. So it was really, really important to, to hit in those drafts, and they did. They knocked it out of the park. But that being said, I I think this is right up there with those drafts, and that it's a I think a turning point for an organization and it's the reason that, you know, folks continue to be so in awe of or an organization like the Patriots and not even an organization like them, just the Patriots, right? There's never been an organization like them is that they've continued to do it for year after year after year after year. So I feel like Seattle is, is kind of hitting that point where, you know, teams tend to ebb and flow and they have, you know, down years and, I think that you need to find a way if you're Seattle to to kick that into high gear again and get back in the game and get back in that top tier of competitors and contenders. Um, and you've extended your franchise quarterback. So you've made a clear point that we want to compete in the next five years. Um, I don't think you do that, obviously, if you don't think you can. But I think that when it comes to this draft, it becomes all the more important to capitalize on these picks while you still have a Russell Wilson in his early 30s um, or mid-30s and while you still have a Bobby Wagner in his early 30s. And and a lot of these guys that are big contributors for you, outside of now Frank Clark, have windows that, you know... Aren't are, as open as they once aren't were. Aren't as open as they once were. These guys are in their prime. And and that's what I'm saying. It's It's not guys that are starting out or ending, but it's guys where you've really got to capitalize on it. So... You know, as much as people, you know, might look at this as a chance to build towards the future, 
you really want to turn these picks as best as you can, especially with late round picks, into guys that can contribute early. I totally agree with you on that. I, I think you look at last year's first round pick, Rashad Penny, who I still don't know if they brought him in with the sole intention of him being the starter last year. I mean, I would guess. I think if you take someone in the first yeah, round, you're expecting I him think to be so. a starter. But then he became sort of a, a secondary level kind of piece in the Seahawks running game. I don't think the Seahawks can afford to take guys who are going to be two- or three-year projects in this year's draft. I think they need guys who can help out right away, guys who aren't going to have growing pains and and take their lumps over the next couple of seasons because of the urgency, like you said. Well, it's easier said than done. It absolutely is. It's easy for me to sit here and say, like, oh, you like, yeah. you you got to hit this draft pick. Uh, if you take Kyler Murray and Nick Bosa you'll at 21 and 29, you'll be good. All right? <laughs> Just make sure that they fall to you there and you're good. Boom. And if good. not, trade back and get 27 second rounders. Exactly. It's easy. Like, come on, John and Pete. This is the easiest thing you've ever done. But no, no, I mean, you know no. that. Exactly. And-, and like you said, Russell Wilson isn't the young spring chicken that he once was seven years ago. Bobby Wagner, the same. He's not 21, 22 anymore. These guys are, are approaching 30 years old, and as we know in, in the NFL, that is the downslope of your career. Well, that, and I would argue that for quarterbacks especially, and also linebackers, that extends a little bit longer. It does, into your probably your mid-30s, right. especially for quarterbacks, like we've seen in years past with Peyton Manning playing into his 40s. Tom Brady is in his 40s. Drew Brees is 40. I think Philip Rivers is approaching mm-hmm. that age. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, he's 37, 38 years old. Eli Manning, same thing. But so, still. Yeah, you... but still, there's a. I feel like there's less of Russell Wilson's career remaining than, there, than he's already played right now. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like he's not – he's got less in front of him than what's behind him. I just think that the next couple of years are the best – the, the peak of a career, yes. not in just that your your knowledge of the game and your your understanding and your kind of mental uh, ability, your instincts are are in line with what you can do physically. You're still you're still able to do a lot physically when you're 30 as a quarterback. Uh, and, and the difference between 30 or 31 as a quarterback and, and a rookie is that you don't make those rookie mistakes which are called rookie mistakes for a reason. You're smarter. Yeah. So I just don't think those two things stay in line for very long. Now, with the moving of Frank Clark to Kansas City, are there some things that this trade doesn't give off a face value that you kind of have to dig deeper for on that defense? Is this a move that's going to have a ripple effect, not just on the defensive line, but on other positions as well in the Seahawks? Yeah, I think an easy thing to point to is the secondary. And right, that comes from just kind of the elementary understanding of how defense works and that relationship between, you know, the front seven and the secondary. But Seattle in particular uh, doesn't have a ton of depth at either spot. So I think where you could afford to have a bad defensive line when you had all pros in your secondary, which, by the way, they didn't. They had all pros in the defensive line and, and front seven as well. Um, but you you could afford to make mistakes when you have that kind of depth. So I think this just you know, while you're working this out until you find, um, you know, starters or difference makers uh, as an edge rusher, you you might have to deal with um, 
you know, someone breaking through and, and all of a sudden you've got to depend on communication between your secondary and front seven and you've got a lot of young players there. Um, so I think obviously what you want to see if you're Seattle is is a breakout year or imp- improvements and a big step forward for, for guys like Trey Flowers, who had a strong rookie season, for guys like Shaquille Griffin. Um, you obviously want to see another great year from Bobby Wagner, which I'm sure you will. But it becomes all the more important, those two groups – that they, Seattle being they, are either able to replenish them with some talent or that those guys are able to take a big step forward. Yeah, and the Seahawks are going to need guys to step forward. Uh, with Frank Clark being out, I don't think that's a stretch to to figure out who are going to be some of those guys. With Frank Clark out of the Seahawks organization now on his way to Kansas City to play the next, what, four or five years of his career so with Frank Clark gone, which player needs a breakout year in the worst way for the Seahawks? We answer that next in four-down territory. Seahawks insider Stacy Ross. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. This, this is four-down territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got deep, 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 deep. Closing out this Tuesday here on Seattle Sports at Night. With some four-down territory, our last opportunity to put seven on the board. You got to do it. And that's when, like, two-minute warning, right. four-down territory right here. Curtis Rogers, Stacy Ross, she is Seahawks Insider on 710sports.com. So who better else to answer these next four questions Jake. here four-down territory? <laughs> I mean, we're trying to hype you up here. Right, we're Trying right. to gas you up, Stacey. When Jake's Stacey. not here, it's me. There we go. Number one. <laughs> All right, Stacy. Now that Jake's not here, right. it's time for you to get us some points here. I'm going to be board. the Nick Foles of this situation. Yeah, bear down. Look. Which, I mean, Super Bowl. Yeah. Super Bowl winner Nick Foles, who got paid as well. This is going to be the Philly special version yeah. of four down I'll be territory. Trey Burton. You be Nick Foles. Got it. I'll throw you a touchdown pass. Question number one. Frank Clark is off to Kansas City. So in his absence, which player on the Seahawks roster Mm. is most in need of a breakout season? You know, after our conversation about just the defense as a whole, I was trying to think outside of the box a little bit. And I was trying to think, like, well, maybe someone in the secondary. Maybe you have just a breakout corner uh, or, you know, the front seven. Maybe Bobby and KJ have career years Again, but I think I'm just going to stick to the defensive line and give the obvious answer, which is one of the young pass rushers Seattle already has. In particular, I think Jacob Martin's a good candidate. Uh, He had a really promising year last year. Didn't see a ton of time. I mean, he spent time on special teams, but um, he he managed to be pretty disruptive when, when he had the shot, and he was, for Dave Wyman, I know a player he couldn't stop talking about, and I think I'll take Dave Wyman's expert opinion on on linebackers and pass rushers uh, yeah, over my own. I guess. He yeah. seems like somebody who would know a thing or two he about He really couldn't linebacker. stop talking about him, though, and I think his thing was he's getting better and better and better, and that's what you want to see. And I've said that about Trey Flowers, which is why I, I just briefly thought, you know, that's someone that could step forward. But it's just the easy solution when you're looking to fill that spot is to have someone else step up in the same role. Number, Number two. Second down to Stacy. NFL Draft. There's no immediate winner and loser. It's not really a sports game. Yeah. It is an event. It's an event. Is the NFL draft the best non-sports sports event on the calendar? It's got to be, right? Here's the thing. The NFL draft has everything that, as a, as America, as a society, 
we've grown to love, which is just like stories. Like they really yeah. do hype it up so much. And I know that some people think it like maybe they don't love it, but I mean, you're going to get such a wide audience when people feel invested in someone personally. Yeah. I think the only other two I couldn't things think of two I could others. think of was Selection Sunday no. for March Madness, which isn't nearly no. as big of a deal, but it is. it does signal like it you're about to have some wild amounts of fun over the next month. Yes. And then also, this is a quick one. If you blink, you miss it. But the NBA draft lottery, that is that's a fun one for like really? conspiracy theorists out there. As oh, well as like as well as seeing the reactions of like the team general managers when their lottery balls don't land with the number one pick uh-huh. and they've like spent their entire season tanking and trading away every great player to win like fourteen games in the season. They fired their head coach and it's like, all right, we've done all this so we can land Zion Williamson and then all of a sudden, like up pops the envelope and you got pick number four, which is going to be like some, you know. Do you no buy way. into the conspiracy theory? I do. Yeah. What's your, so what, that, that the NBA kind of writes their storylines? Yeah, I don't think the they picks. do it every year, but I think at sometimes they have purposely given teams the number one overall pick because it would be the best story. I think the year that LeBron James went number one overall, he went to the hometown Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that had been garbage for years and yeah. years and years. Uh, I think Patrick Ewing, when he was picked by the Knicks, he was the biggest name in college. You've got the biggest market. Yeah. Uh, I think Anthony Davis, when he was taken number one overall, was done so as a make good on the league, nixing the Chris Paul trade that would have sent him to the Lakers. And instead, the Hornets then had to send Chris Paul to the Clippers instead. I think that was just done to make the... Do you have a problem with it? I don't. I think it's That's fun. kind of my thought, right? Yeah. I'm like, well, if they do that. I mean, it makes for a lot of fun. I mean, you're talking to a wrestling fan. I'm I have no problem with fixed outcomes. That's how I feel. You're talking to someone who watches more reality TV than than exactly. they don't watch TV. Let yourself have some fun. <laughs> Spend more time of my day watching than I don't. Number three. Third down. Stacy. Curtis. Outside of defensive end and wide receiver, which we have covered from top to bottom in the lead up to the draft, it feels like in the infancy of Seattle Sports Night, we were talking about the combine preview, but now we're, we're actually here to the NFL draft. Which position would you like to see the Seahawks target in the draft outside of mm. defensive end and wide receiver? I'll give top candidates because I don't know about the depth with a couple different positions. Like, I'm not sure about tight end depth. I know Brock mentioned it was a great group for safeties, and I think that would be a great position to target. Someone in that secondary would be great, um, and I think that's right up there with your priorities, you know, next to wide receiver. Um, as like a wild card, how do you feel about a tight end? I'm all right with it. I'm we all talked right a little bit it. a couple nights ago with Noah Fant of Iowa, TJ Hawkinson also of Iowa, and those would be early guys that I think the first two picks at least should be on the defensive side of the ball, but I I don't know that I would mind seeing, you know, someone that you could get in to help with with blocking and to just add another, you know, tool for Russell Wilson. And, I mean, hopefully with Russell Wilson's new deal, it puts a, a much larger emphasis on the passing game here, and they do give Russ a lot more weapons to throw to because – like we've said time and time again, Doug Baldwin's future is up in the air. The 
tight end position, Jake told us last week that they may not be as satisfied with it as we kind of think, and that's why we've seen Noah Fan and TJ Hawkinson yeah. get mocked to the Seahawks for a, a few times now. I'm okay with tight end. Uh, I think that would be a, a really, really eye-opening pick because it. I think it would be eye-opening, not in the way that Rashad Penny was last year, but definitely in a way that, like, oh, maybe that means that someone who's currently a tight end on this roster. Meaning Nick Benatter at Dixon. Exactly. Isn't on the roster come training camp time. Number four. Fourth down. Last chance for us to get seven on the board before we head on out. Close the lights or turn off the lights. Close the door here. We're the last people here. I know. The custodians have come and gone. They nearly turned the lights off on us. But out, or let's see here. Get my questions out of order. Is there a good reason for casual sports fans to watch the later rounds of the draft? We're talking day three, rounds four through seven, when O linemen from Division Three <laughs> Presbyterian. It's tech. when they let like uh, like someone's kid read off a pick. Yeah. Or like when like the oldest person in Wisconsin reads <laughs> off the Packers. <laughs> Oh, you know, Martha, Martha May Whitaker. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I <clears throat> Here's the thing. If you're a casual fan, yes, the third day of the draft, rounds th- th- uh, four through seven, does get pretty boring. But I feel like that's also where you get some of the best stories. Because that's when you get the guys that maybe weren't expecting to go. Uh, and also that's where you get guys that months from now could be difference makers. It's just that you can also find future starters in the seventh round. Chris Carson, David Moore. I know we've mentioned this a million times and people get tired of seeing the same examples, but sometimes there really are difference makers there. Yeah, the Seahawks in peak Harold John Schneider's tenure, they've made their hay on day three with, I mean, last year you had Trey Flowers, Michael Dixon, you had Shaquem Griffin as well was a day three pick. Go back even further, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman. Honestly, most of a team's picks. Yeah. At least Seattle. This is where you're going to find some of these guys. Trey Flowers, another guy who was not known before day three. And then all of a sudden is thrust into that starting lineup and it becomes a household name and maybe even a, a future Super Bowl hero the way that some guys who have come through these doors here in Seattle became over the last decade. I'm just saying it doesn't have to go from like zero to 60 or from 60 to zero in your attention and care. Like you don't have to invest all of your time and that's it. And then drop off on day three. You know, you don't have to pay close attention to day three, but have it on. There's, there's some stuff in there worth watching. Make sure you've got the 710 live stream, which you can check out 710sports.com. Make sure you got that up. Make sure you're listening to us. All three days. And reading us on 710sports.com. Absolutely, where you can find all sorts of draft trackers and just every single thing you want to know We're going to have breakdowns of all the picks. Once yeah. they're taken, we get uh, you know phone calls with them, so we'll have all of their quotes right after. We have uh, takeaways from uh, John Schneider and Pete Carroll talk at the end of it. So, Like when I say wall-to-wall, I mean it's actually like beyond wall-to-wall. I mean, like, like we're are, busting these walls down. Like, yep, it's Chip and Joanna Gaines style demolition. Yeah, exactly. Like that's how it is. Which of us is Chip? 
Uh, it's, me, it's you. Okay. I'm very Joanna. That's fine. Yeah. You're totally a Joanna. Yeah, I, I didn't want to have to be the one yeah. to say no, it. No, that's okay. It's better yeah. that I said it. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to do it for us here tonight on Seattle Sports Night. We'll be back with you tomorrow at 7 o'clock from 7 to 9 right here, 710 ESPN Seattle.